My guest today is one of the most well-known and accomplished bassists in the world. It's in the band The Winery Dogs with Mike Portnoy and Richie Kotzen. They have a new album out called Hot Streak coming out on October 2nd. I'd like to welcome Billy Sheehan. Hello. How you doing? I'm good, man. Uh, thanks for giving me a few minutes. You've been doing a bunch of these uh, interviews today, I guess? Yeah, yeah. We've been uh, kind of stacked up. <laughs> it's all good. That's cool. You We're know, I, I spent uh, this past weekend uh, where Mike Portnoy was at this uh, Neil Morse uh, festival thing uh, called Morse Fest. So, uh, oh, he's got his own festival now. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's Fantastic. a small, small little thing, but they did it up real nice and uh, played a lot of shows and, and that type of stuff, which was cool. Yeah. Probably a bit similar to the uh, Winery Dogs camp, I guess, right? Because I saw some really cool stuff. You guys play with the fans. What's that whole thing like? That was a riot. We actually had a great time. It was our second one we did in Paris. Very, very well attended. And um, we, yeah, we hang out, play music. Uh, there's a bunch of drummers, bass players, singers, guitar players. And we uh, also bring uh, other musician friends of ours along to uh, jump in there with us to give a little bit more variety to the situation. And we have uh, meals together and a great hang. And there's a, at the place we do it, they have a, like a little nightclub where we we get up and we do our show also. Uh, we do two shows usually each, each year. And we play some of the brand new songs up in the record and then we let the campers be the first people in the public to hear any of the new songs up in the record. So we have, um, at the end, the, the final event of the camp is uh, where I'm the DJ uh, after after uh, the Wonder Dogs play. And so I get out on the uh, uh, at the DJ booth uh, that's in the club and <laughs> start playing a lot of music and then finally it came to the point where I said okay are you ready we're going to play some new wine and uh, it was great it was really wonderful they were very happy that they were the first to hear it and it was good to see their response too because we were really really uh, really pleased that they enjoyed what we, we had on the record yeah oh, that sounds like a great time um I have also had a chance to check out the new album uh, for the last few days. Fantastic, of course. Uh, really rocks. Thank you. The production's phenomenal, the whole thing. Um, you know, coming on to a, a second album with this, that's usually when a band uh, says, okay, we're, we're here to stay for a while. So when you started this this group, did you imagine the success it would have off the first record and that you'd even be doing a second one? Uh, I didn't imagine we'd have the kind of success we had, but I did... Uh imagine that we were going to stick to it as a band and not just do like a one-off or a project. So, though I was thinking album two and album three, hopefully, uh, will be in the future. I had no idea that album one was going to do what it did. None of us did, really. Uh, we, we always hoped for the best, but I've been in situations, not only situations that were mine, but also seen other people in a situation where they got a great record and everything's fantastic and they put their record on and nothing happens. Right. You know? And, uh, <laughs> And I've seen you know, horrible records that get put out and the thing blows up all over the place. So it's hard to predict how it's going to happen. I got, uh, I'm a big fan of a lot of music. My, my iTunes is almost two terabytes. I've I got a lot of great records by great artists that just never did anything, you know, never, never you know, just, so you never know how it's going to be. So you put, put your heart and soul in there and then you roll the dice. And I sure enough, on the first record, we got really lucky. We're very, very pleased that people responded to it the way they did. We played in Brazil, and the record was only out for two days in Brazil, and the whole audience sang the entire record along <laughs> with us so loud we couldn't even hear our own voices singing. It was unbelievable. So the, the response was just uh, overwhelming. 
Yeah, did you find that, uh, you know, Mike coming from sort of a progressive metal and then that whole genre and you have your thing that you've had for, for a while and, and Richie even is maybe more bluesy, did it kind of, the, the combination also help uh, with um, bringing on the different audiences together and, and maybe exposing, uh, you know, Mike uh, Mike's band discovering Richie, Mike's fans rather discovering Richie and, and vice versa? Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of people were... Uh... Uh, uh, a fan of one guy's would be surprised by those other two guys he's playing with. So it was all good. Uh, we uh, uh, were lucky to get uh, together at this stage of our lives where all of us have had, had been uh, blessed with uh, some degree of success. Right. And that and that was a very, very good thing. So all of us brought things to the table. But I, I, I did uh, notice that uh, a lot of people that were into one guy would do, enjoy this band, uh, even though it wasn't necessarily representative of just Mike, just me, or just Richie, but um, the people who would come out that normally come out and see me play in all the bands enjoyed this very much, in, uh, more than I had even expected to. And my old friends from back in Buffalo were saying, hey man, I think this is the best band you've ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> so th that was cool. I, I, I really, I really appreciated that. So it was good, yeah. We got some definite uh, cross-referencing there. And Mike, though he comes from a somewhat progressive background, his his real love is you know basic rock music. I did a the Who a tribute tour with him, and uh, played on a Rush tribute record with him. But uh, and uh, but anyways, worked a lot with friends of mine doing his Beatle tributes and Led right. Zeppelin tributes, and he loves loves basic straight up. You know, Beatles, Zeppelin, who—that's <laughs> that's his thing, and uh, so that works out well for me. Though I've been involved in a lot of Prague stuff too. You know, in my early days, when when the first Prague first came off, King Crimson, Genesis, bands like that, I was into that a lot in my early years. And I did a tour with Eddie Jobson a few years ago. So there had a band called Niacin, which is pretty sure. progressive, and. Uh, yeah. With Dennis Chambers on drums, so I've been in and out of that myself a little bit, and, and Richie too. He also did uh, uh, played with Virtu, uh, which is Stanley Clark and Lenny White, pretty heavy hitter players. Yeah. And Richie was like right in there with them. It's pretty awesome. So we all had a little taste of that, and I think sometimes it shows the Winery Dogs music a little bit. We do throw a few twists and turns in there. We don't make it um, math rock, but we <laughs> we try to make it. Uh, uh, give, give it something interesting too. I, 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 I there's, there's, there's eight measures go by with nothing happening. People lose my interest. I want to hear something. So we were all kind of feel that way. We didn't want to make it a necessarily a prog record, but we want to have elements of everything that all of us were into. Well, that, that's a that's a good point that you mentioned because uh, you guys did the certain album sort of a, a combination of what your styles are, but in a blues rocky sort of way. With this one, yeah. the, new, the new album is very much in keeping with the style of the last one. Um, but were there moments when you were writing this one that you felt, okay, let's stretch ourselves a little bit, and then it maybe went into too much, you know, shredding, and you had to scale it back, say, hold on, that's not what this is about? No, it's kind of wicked. It's kind of a natural instinct to, I think because all of us are fans, we, we I, I think we can kind of tell when we're in an area where as a fan, you would I would lose me here. <laughs> I would, right, okay. I, I don't think I would get this, you know. So we kind of all naturally uh, govern ourselves uh, uh, as far as that goes. And it's and nobody has to say to the other guy, hey, you know, tone it down there or, or 
or give me more or whatever else. You know, we kind of naturally all fall into that. You know, we don't have to. Rarely is there anyone saying, and maybe this is too much here, or what? We kind of naturally fall into a, I think, what's a good pattern of how of what we put in songs and how we construct them. Uh, there isn't a lot of discussion about it either. Really, we just kind of it just kind of happens. So we don't have to necessarily be have, have someone put a leash on us at this point. But we kind of naturally fall that way. The um the first uh, track Oblivion uh, I guess go, went to radio about a week or two ago and um, that's one of the heavy hitters on the album a big shredding kind of kind of song with a killer opening um was that one of the first songs recorded or, or had that song come together? Well, we actually uh, wrote that song in the middle of our tour uh, last uh, the last tour we did and um, because we wanted because we were touring for so long we wanted to have something new. In, uh, in the set for people to come out because you know we we played pretty much every song on the record, so uh, we wrote that and performed it maybe about eight eight or nine times uh, on uh, on tour, and so we we kind of had a handle on that one, but it wasn't it wasn't completed though. Even though we performed it, we we uh, the, the version that ended up on the record has involved changes in it as well. We we, it, we allowed it to evolve. And um, so then when we recorded it for this record, uh, those changes kind of brought it, it even had even more new life to it. So uh, I know people, especially if the dog can't had heard us play that song before it was recorded. And then we played in the recording and they seemed very, very pleased with that, how it had evolved. And so that was, um, it came about from the tour before and then got evolved into this record. Yeah, that song is. Uh, you know what? Because it, you're saying you wrote it during that tour, it does. It, it would have fit on the last record. It's a nice transition. But then, you know, you get into a lot of left turns on this album as well. Um, a couple of songs I wanted to just bring up. Uh, one was Ghost Town, which is yeah, of really different and, and really cool. So, what's the story behind that one? That main theme that it opens up with. That started as a little bass thing, and then we just popped into the chord and. Uh, as Mike's riding on the drums, keeping time, the, these chords kind of just happen. And we just sit in the room and put those things together and uh, came up with uh, some chords that would be more of a chorus thing and then back into another verse and some other changes and stuff like that. And then Richie started to, you know, just blah, blah, singing along with it and eventually turned into a melody that became the lyrics. And I really love what he did with it lyrically and melodically. Uh, on the vocals, really cool kind of spooky, distant storytelling song, and uh, it's one of my favorites on the record. There's not a lot of ballads either. We should point out, so no one has to worry about that for sure. Um, one of the uh, one of the ones towards the end, though, "Think It's Over," kind of brings the the organ in. It's very kind of bluesy. So, did you try to limit maybe the the ballady tracks, or just kind of how things things got written? It just kind of landed that way. We didn't. Uh, you know, I don't, though personally, I don't necessarily like to do more than one, two if they're both awesome. Right, <laughs> but, right. You know, so, uh, but you know, if, 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 there, if there was a third bell that was just a spectacular piece of music, I would say, well, well maybe okay. But for me, um, we had a problem with Mr. Big a couple times where we just got too soft and, you know, right. uh, the record company was forcing us to write another, try to do another to be with you, do another to be with you. We did to be with you. <laughs> Come on, bro. So the turned it got ugly there for a little while. But uh, but generally, I, I always like the songs, but it just, sometimes it's just too much, you know. And I, we 
me, I, I generally like music that's exciting, that's inspiring, that moves me. Sometimes it's a ballad, but more likely it's something that has a little more energy to it, a little bit more up-tempo. And, uh, and plus, I, I, I'm built to play live, and the Wonder Dogs are built to play live. In a live situation, ballads are nice to bring it down for a dynamic in the evening, but there's too many of them, man, it turns into a snooze fest. So we, we do like it. Uh, we, we are always thinking of performing the stuff, where a lot of times guys get in the studio, and, they're, and the tour is the last thing on their mind. They're trying to think hits where we're thinking, what would we love to play live? What would be a blast to play on stage in front of our friends on a hot sweaty night? That's more our, our criteria than trying to trying to force some squeeze some hit out. So we didn't necessarily get too ballady. What's the downside of, of having all those hits that, that were ballads kind of back in the eighties and stuff that now you had to play them every night and you had too many of them. It became a, became kind of a downer. Well, in all honesty though, I still love to be with you and I loved, uh, just take my heart. And, uh, um, what was the catch Stevens song we did? Uh, Wild World. World. We, we enjoy, we, you know, we enjoy playing on live with Mr. Big and, um, and everybody, the whole place is singing along, and it is a, there's a sea of smiling faces. So uh, I enjoy that very much. I like when people are pleased. You know, I'm I'm not looking so much at my, you know, uh, precious artistic uh, integrity. Yeah, I, I have that, but uh, but I also love to have people enjoy the night. And and if it if it's a song I play on that people like, and I'm happy to do it live. You know, no matter what. So we uh, we always balance it out with things at a show, of course, but uh, um, that's always possible. You know what I always find fascinating with with you and the, and the people you play with is you're such a dynamic bass player who can play you know as fast as anybody or fill in fill in the gaps you know better than really any bass player. But you've had the fortunate uh, uh, luck of of playing with you know Steve Vai, Paul Gilbert, now Richie Kotzen, and you know countless others that all are top of the line so how do you when, when you're with a guy like that in the group and they dominate the, the musical space so much how do you kind of balance it with that person well bass is all about the drums so I'm really I, I don't really put as much attention on guitar players as they do locking with the drummer to build things for the guitar player to stand stand put on four guitars then when there's times that we need a little bit more uh, music, notage, uh, harmonies, uh, interplay, then uh, fortunately, I'm, uh, <clears throat> after all these years, I'm at a position where I can usually deal with the guitar player on that term too. But my first job is always that bass drum, just watching what it's doing and locking in. And then the second job would be what the snare drum is doing. Then we'll get to the times and then I'll deal with the guitar player. And so it's re- it really is my, my main thing. Um, I, when I do my bass clinics, I, I preach this to kids so so fervently, trying to get them to that same point of view. Uh, they all want to solo, 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 solo. The whole band, hold on. Before there was soloing, there was bass playing. Before you got to get up on stage if you want to solo, and you can't get up on stage if that's all you're doing. So, you know, for years in clubs, I played in bands where you know we, we played songs and I played the bass part, you know, and. I, Fortunately, um, developed to something where it became somewhat unique in some people's eyes. I'm very, very pleased about that. But I'm generally about uh, getting, getting locking together with the drums. And with Mike, it's a joy because we have a kind of a great ESP. Uh, he makes a move. I do the exact same thing at the exact same time, even though we didn't plan it out, and vice versa. Either. I do a move, and he does exactly what I do. So it's a it's a real cool uh, 
ESP kind of thing that happens on stage. We're, all, we're always looking at each other like, holy cow, how did you know I was going to do that? And uh, it keeps it fun and interesting, and it keeps it together because we're doing things together as opposed to counterpoint or one or you know you one guy steps back while the other guy steps forward it's more of an it's really is an interplay on stage between all of us well you and mike both share that ability to be in many bands work with many people and i guess over time you've learned to adapt where it can be really fast right the the getting the change of the other person and that sort of thing yeah uh the time spent on stage together is just priceless it's the most important thing there is that uh, there's no substitute for it either. You can sit in a, re- a rehearsal hall and play and play and play and play, and it just does not do the same. I, I, I think it's equivalent, maybe three months in a rehearsal hall is equivalent to about two songs live for how much how important that is to be on deck and be watching each other and performing in front of people. So fortunately, we've got to a point with the winery hours, we're already past 100 shows, and uh, that really also did affect us a lot you know, on this record because we really know each other better. Our, our, our um, ensemble playing has improved and remarkably, in my humble opinion. And uh, to write now is, is a real automatic process. We can just kind of sit down in a room and stuff will start popping out. That's great. Um, I'm curious, we don't get too much into kind of gear and that type of stuff on, on, on these interviews we do here, but I'm curious because your sounds have always been really consistent and you can know it's a, it's Billy Sheehan playing bass most of the time. Um, over the last, you know, 10, 15 years or so, do, have you sort of stayed with the same kind of rig and bass or, or do you make a lot of changes from, you know, year to year just to see how, what happens? Um, generally, the changes are slow and some things never change. So... Uh, there's always one consistent, solid, foundational piece that I can base everything on. And I remember back in the old days, I just changed my chords one night, and it ruined me for about three shows. <laughs> there was a wrong impedance in it. And I learned never change more than one thing, ever. Because if I didn't know it was the chord, then I would have changed the amp. I would have thought it was the amp. Oh, so I see guys that go go out to go play, and then the next show they try different pickups, and the next show they try another cabinet. And they go, wait, wait, wait. Maybe do like 50 shows without changing anything until you are grooved in, and then you know maybe change one thing. But notice, know that every night is different. Even if you're on the same stage of the same club, uh, it's gonna things are gonna be different night to night. So I try to keep as consistent as possible. I uh, basically. It's a two amplifier setup. One amplifier doing one thing, and another amplifier doing another thing, and that's kind of the, if if anything is is the most important aspect of it for live, that would be. But then again, sometimes I play uh, in, in studios, whatever, uh, with just one one input, and just play straight up single pickup bass. But uh, after a while, your hands start to be the signature thing. Uh, anybody that plays, sometimes they get it in four or five years, sometimes eight or ten but eventually your hands have a unique thing to them. And no matter what you play on or what you play through, it begins to sound like you. And uh, so after playing for, I don't even know how many years I played, but it's over 40. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, it becomes a, a, a built-in thing. Love it or hate it, that's what it is, you know, and it's going to sound like that. So lately I just changed them, got some different key uh, cabinets, I had some different Harky cabinets in the last store. I tried a different model now. And I just spent all day yesterday in my rehearsal room setting them up and preparing them and AP and them and trying them out and playing through them for hours to get rid of the feel of them. And I think I'm, I'm okay to go out there and make this one change <laughs> uh, on this tour coming up. 
Are you guys uh, starting to rehearse yet, or, or, or not yet? Not yet. We're going to start. Uh, Richie and I are getting together before we go meet Mike. Just go over some uh, some more vocal parts and guitar-based things we need to know. Then we go, and, uh, and I'll, I'll, I always do my homework, so I'll know every song, every new song, and all the old songs completely. So when we go in, all we have to do is kind of arrange what's going to go where. So uh, and we'll be in good shape. But I can't wait until like week two of the tour because we'll be well grooved in by then and uh, it's going to be very enjoyable to play this stuff live off the, off the new record we're all excited about it that should be uh, just when you guys are down in Florida around about the two week mark I think if I was looking at the tour right which is where I am so I will definitely be there And perfect uh, you're there at the perfect time <laughs> yeah that'll be great <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait I saw you guys on the last one and it was uh, as good as anything so Listen, man. I, I Thank wish you. For you being there. Yeah, I wish you all the success in the world with the new album. I, I, I have no doubt it's going to be a success again, and uh, we'll see you on tour, man. Excellent. Well, thanks for calling. Thanks for your time. Uh, if you if you if you see me in Florida, make yourself known, and uh, uh, I'd love to say hello to you when we're down there. Absolutely, man. That sounds great. Excellent. Well, thanks for the call today, and uh, thank you for listening to our record. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Take it easy. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thanks to Billy for the interview. We're going to close with the opening track off of Hot Streak. This is Oblivion. For more information and upcoming interviews, please check with theprogreport.com. Follow us on Facebook, at The Prog Report on Twitter, and download our podcast on iTunes. Thanks.